Hello, my name is Dave Emery, and this is Side 1 of For the Record Program number 600, titled The Axis Revisited, Changing the Past and Controlling the Present. This is being recorded on June 10th of the year 2007. At the end of this, this uh, side of the broadcast, I'm going to give you some information about where to get a whole lot more information, and specifically a whole lot more information on the subject material we're going to be dealing with this evening, namely, surprise, surprise, fascism. Uh, we're going to be taking a look this evening in particular, or today I should say, because it's not necessarily evening where uh, people are, uh, we're going to be taking a look specifically at Italy and Japan, who along with Germany were the two of the three parts of the tripartite pact, and uh, who also, or that also, uh, underwent a phenomenon similar to uh, that which took place in Germany, namely, uh, in order to entrench fierce uh, and uh, effective anti-communists in position for the looming Cold War, uh, elements in the West, powerful economic, political, and intelligence and military elements, saw to it that uh, the status quo was maintained as far as the political and uh, economic and uh, national security aspects of Japan, Germany, and Italy. In other words, uh, as the who put it, meet the old boss, same as the uh, see, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, because indeed the new and the bold were pretty much the same in these cases. I would seriously recommend to people who are serious, <laughs> not, not the most adept way of putting it, but people who uh, are taking this uh, line of inquiry seriously should make a point of getting a hold of, for the right, of uh, Anti-Fascist Archives show 37 from Spitfire. In fact, you might want to get a hold of 36 and 37, uh, because quite literally the results of World War II have to a large extent been reversed, not obviously militarily, but uh, ultimately economically and therefore politically, and uh, those are the decisive arenas of struggle. Uh, we have looked in the past at uh, how, in effect, uh, the Axis, specifically Germany and Japan, won the Cold War, and in so doing won the Second World War. This evening we're going to be taking a look at uh, what happened in Italy, too, as a result of uh, putting the old fascists, to a certain extent at least, right back in power and enabling them to uh, go fight the Cold War. Well, they did that, but they fought a whole lot more, and to a large extent as a result of the reliance on these sorts of allies during the course of the Cold War, uh, the United States is going to find itself ultimately, I think, victim to this same phenomenon. Not something that would be of great distaste to the fifth column in this country, uh, a fifth column which exists in the corridors of great power, and a fifth column that has operated effectively to reverse, or first to prevent, and then to subvert and ultimately to reverse the results of World War II, uh, powerful interests such as the uh, ancestors of the Bush family, and uh, uh, that is a matter of record. Uh, what we're going to be looking at in this broadcast in particular is, in the case of Italy, we're going to be taking a look at just what has been taking place recently with regard to the Italian fascists who were the heirs to Mussolini. We're going to be taking a look, too, at uh, the legacy of uh, Vatican complicity with fascism, and the legacy of uh, a long, long tradition of intrigue that has stemmed from the Vatican's relationship with fascism. Uh, 
one thing that I want to stress, too, to listeners uh, is to bear in mind uh, some of the broadcasts that we've done recently, uh, such as European Vacation, for the record number 595, and also uh, for the record program number 535, Death Trap Part 3, uh, dealing with, among other things, the very, very significant role of these same residual Italian fascists in not only helping to generate and uh, communicate the Niger yellow cake disinformation, which was a, a key piece of disinformation cited by the Bush administration in its rush to go to war, but also the very significant role of these same residual P2 Italian-linked uh, Italian fascists uh, in the scandal uh, that is unfolding now in Italy with some 13 CIA officers having been indicted in connection with some of the illegal renditions. Specifically, a fellow was uh, rendered, so to speak, to Egypt where he underwent torture. And uh, that, uh, I believe it was Egypt, but in any event, that uh, has led to the indictment of a number of CIA officers in Italy. Well, the people with whom they've been collaborating were these same P2 forces and uh, uh, well, let's just say you, you you might think that people would learn from experience, but not necessarily here. In addition to taking a look at the price that we are paying and the price the world is paying for keeping Italian fascists in power at the end of World War II, we're also going to be taking a look at uh, the price that is paid for having uh, maintained the political status quo in Japan as well in many broadcasts, in particular some of our broadcasts dealing with the book Gold Warriors, uh, we've taken a look at how uh, the same phenomena that took place in Germany and Italy took place in Japan, namely the anti-communist uh, sentiment of the Japanese fascists uh, was utilized by the quote-conquering, unquote, Americans uh, after the conclusion of military affairs. And basically, even though Japan technically lost the war, they not only got to keep all of their stolen wealth, thereby economically triumphing in the war, uh, as did Germany, by the way, uh, but also because the same political forces were, were returned to power, uh, basically the uh, political status quo was maintained as well. That is something with, that we have paid dearly for so far, and uh, I think in the future with uh, an awful lot of American debt having piled up to Japan among other countries, uh, we are going to find ourselves perhaps helpless in the face of economic and or political or conceivably military developments that might not be to our liking. Uh, the point is that uh, we did not necessarily win the Second World War, and instead of Germany, in this broadcast, we're going to be taking a look at Italy and Japan. We're going to be taking a look at uh, what happens when you don't change the old guard. Uh, we've spent a great deal of programming over the years on the subject of the Propaganda Due Lodge, a crypto-fascist uh, hidden government that uh, governed Italy for much of the Cold War period. Its uh, grandmaster was Licio Gelli, an Italian fascist whose pedigree runs from the Spanish Civil War and uh, Mussolini's early fascisti, right on up through World War II, where he was the Italian liaison officer to the Hermann Goering Division, and uh, then worked with the Salo Republic, uh, the Rump SS-run government in northern Italy at the end of World War II. And then, uh, then uh, Licio Gelli became a prime mover, known as the puppet master, or the venerated one, 
in post-war Italian political slang. Uh, he was a puppet master, and his P2 Lodge not only was a meeting ground for fellow fascists, but also a meeting ground of great power where uh, the Vatican met organized crime and Italian big business, military, and intelligence officials. Uh, one of the things that we've spoken about in connection with the P2 is the fact that uh, Roberto Calvi and Michele Sendona, two P2 members, were Vatican financial advisors and presided uh, over the uh, relationship between the Vatican Bank and other affairs uh, while during some very turbulent times. Roberto Calvi supposedly committed suicide in 1982. In fact, there is strong evidence that he was murdered and that his murder had to do with some of the underbelly of Italian politics, such as the P2 Lodge, the death, the, the staging of provocations, uh, the years of lead, uh, weapons trafficking during the Argentine War against the British, uh, the, the Falklands War in 1982, and a whole hell broth of sub rosa activities in which national security matters presided over by fascists met uh, drug trafficking, organized criminal syndicates, and uh, some very powerful business figures, and last but certainly not least, the Vatican. Among the alumni of the P2 Lodge is uh, former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi, until very recently Prime Minister of Italy, and Silvio Berlusconi in turn was a coalition government partner with Gianfranco Fini, who was deputy prime minister and foreign minister of Italy and also the head of the Alianza Nazionale, the Italian quote post unquote fascist party, the heir to Mussolini's fascisti, the heir to the long and sadly unbroken tradition of Italian fascism from the World War II period to the present. Uh, albeit in the post-World War II period, that fascism was underground and parapolitical in nature. Well, Roberto Calvi was murdered, although the official ruling was suicide. Uh, in the early part of this decade, the reopening of the investigation in London at the behest of the Calvi family ultimately produced not only a reversal of the verdict, it was, it was ruled that Calvi had been murdered, which everybody with half a brain knew, but also uh, ultimately a number of different people associated with Calvi and or some of the people in his milieu were indicted for the murder. This past week, those indicted were acquitted. BBC News from this past week. This particular article is from June 6th, from D-Day of 2007, appropriately enough. Five acquitted over Calvi's death. A court in Rome has acquitted all five defendants of murder charges in the 1982 death of Roberto Calvi, known as God's banker for his Vatican ties. Mr. Calvi, the chairman of a private Italian bank, Banco Ambrosiano, was found hanging from scaffolding under London's Blackfriars Bridge in 1982. A British inquest ruled the death suicide, but the case was reopened at the insistence of Mr. Calvi's family. Mr. Calvi died as his bank collapsed in one of Italy's largest fraud scandals. City of London police, who initially investigated Mr. Calvi's death, said it was disappointing for Roberto Calvi's family in particular that those responsible for his murder have still not faced justice, unquote. In a statement, the City of London Police said they had worked closely with the Italian authorities since 2003 to bring this case to a successful conclusion, unquote. Cleared of murder charges are Giuseppe Calo, alleged to be a cashier for the Sicilian Mafia, Mr. Calvi's close associate, businessman Flavio Carboni, businessman Ernesto Diotolevi, 
Mr. Calvi's bodyguard and driver, Silvano Vitor, and Mr. Carboni's ex-girlfriend, Manuela Kleinzig. Callow has been in prison since the 1980s on mafia charges unrelated to Mr. Calvi's death. Prosecutors had said Ms. Kleinzig should be acquitted due to lack of evidence, but had asked for life sentences for the other four. The prosecution alleged that they had lured Mr. Calvi to London and into the hands of his murderers. Mr. Calvi was linked to the Vatican Bank, and prosecutors also said he was laundering money for the mafia. Mob bosses fear he knew where their money was going and where it was hidden and was preparing to tell all, prosecutors said. In June of 1982, his private bank collapsed with debts of $1.5 billion, or 750 million euros. An investigation began in Italy, but a few days later, Calvi's body was hanging from Blackfriars Bridge in London. Cash and stones were stuffed into his pockets. More about what was in his pockets in a second. The first inquest ruled that it was suicide, but years later his body was exhumed, revealing clues suggesting he had been murdered. Forensic tests conducted in 2003 concluded there was no evidence on Mr. Calvi's shoes and clothing that he had climbed the scaffolding, indicating he had been killed elsewhere. The two-year trial leaves more questions than answers, says the BBC's Christian Fraser in Rome. The defense suggested more than once that there were plenty of others who had a motive for murder, some of them within the Vatican, and they said any number of these parties could have collaborated and silenced Roberto Calvi. Note note what was stated here, uh, rightly or wrongly, and at the very least I think we could call this, without uh, holding sympathy for the defendants in this case, food for thought and grounds for further research, the defense suggested more than once that there were plenty of others who had a motive for murder, some of them within the Vatican, and they said any number of these parties could have collaborated and silenced Roberto Calvi. Well, uh, the P2 nexus uh, goes an awfully long way, and not only powerful elements within the Vatican might very well have wanted Roberto Calvi silenced. Recall that the current uh, Pope, uh, Pope Benedict, was sort of the eminence grise behind Pope John Paul II, and it was John Paul II who basically presided over the Vatican banking scandals, ultimately calling in Hermann Abs, arguably the most important banker of the Third Reich and the most important German banker in the post-war period as well, uh, to straighten out the Vatican finances. Uh, remember also that as the tangle of events around the P2 Lodge was unfolding, uh, the Pope was shot. He was shot by a Turkish Nazi, uh, and uh, ultimately that got blamed naturally on Bulgaria. But uh, do keep that in mind. Uh, it would not surprise me here if past a point uh, the people who were pressing this investigation realized that ultimately some very, very powerful forces, forces which would not be in the accessible in the foreground of any forensic investigation, but of powerful forces that would have used these figures uh, may have been the true culprits behind Calvi's murder. Uh, oh, by the way, I, was, I, was, I made a mental note to bring up the subject of the, quote, stones, unquote, in Calvi's pocket. According to a number of journalistic reports, those stones were actually bricks, which not only led weight to the body uh, hanging at the end of the rope, but also uh, were seen by some as sort of mafia allusions to the P2, uh, which was at least superficially a Masonic lodge. 
There were some irregularities during the course of the investigation of the Calvi murder case. Uh, This also from the BBC News, this from May 4th of 2004. Mafia squad probe Calvi bag theft. It reads in part, Italy's anti-mafia police are looking into the theft of files from the UK coroner, re-examining the death of the man dubbed God's banker, Roberto Calvi. Now, as you listen to the story, how often do you think things like this happen? How often do you think somebody engineers a break-in into at least a relatively secure, certainly uh, locked building, in order to steal the files from the coroner, re-examining an alleged suicide of a foreign banker? Not your usual state of affairs. So that's what they're talking about here. Because oftentimes the mainstream press, when taking a look at something very suspicious, has a way of uh, sort of looking down their lorgnettes at the, uh, quote, crazy conspirators uh, or conspiracists who uh, take this sort of thing seriously and who see it as a possible indication of some serious uh, behind-the-scenes activity that we should know about. So again, from May 4th of 2004, Mafia Squad Probe Calvi Bag Theft. Italy's anti-mafia police are looking into the theft of files from the UK coroner, re-examining the death of the man dubbed God's banker, Roberto Calvi. City of London coroner Paul Matthews had a laptop and a bag stolen in Rome. Italian police suspect the Mafia. Calvi was found hanged under London's Blackfriars Bridge in 1982. A first inquest returned a suicide verdict last September. City of London police reopened their investigation as a murder probe alongside Italian police. The force insists that no sensitive material, unquote, relating to the case was stolen. A spokesman stressed that no witness statements or investigative reports were among the material taken. But anti-mafia officials in Rome are understood to be looking at the possibility that Mr. Matthews was deliberately targeted by the mafia. City of London police say they have not yet taken a view, unquote, on the thefts. Quote, we're aware of the thefts, we're working with the Italian authorities in relation to them, and the Calvi case as a whole, the spokesman added. Mr. Matthews was in the Italian capital for a lecture and was not there to discuss the case as has been reported. His computer laptop was taken from his hotel room and his bag was snatched as he walked to a busy station. Nicknamed God's Banker because because of his Vatican connections, Calvi fled Italy after the private bank of which he was chairman collapsed. He arrived in London on bail, having been convicted of corruption in Italy. In June of 1982, he was found hanging from scaffolding beneath Blackfriars Bridge with bricks in his pockets and $15,000 in cash on him. At first, he was thought to have committed suicide, but Italian police believed he was murdered by the Mafia as punishment for pocketing money they had asked him to launder. A German panel of forensic experts rejected the suicide theory, concluding that Calvi could not have got up to the scaffold under the bridge to hang himself. The original inquest verdict of suicide was set aside, and a second in July of 1983 recorded an open verdict. Four men charged with Calvi's murder are due to stand trial in Italy. Uh, Postscript, of course, they ultimately were acquitted. Uh, An article here, yet another BBC story, and uh, this is a story from also June 6th of 2007. It's called The Many Secrets of God's Banker, and this is by Christian Fraser of the BBC News in Rome. 
After 25 years, two inquests, and a very lengthy trial, the mystery remains. The verdict of the court was that Roberto Calvi was murdered, but the evidence against the five accused said the judge was insufficient and at times contradictory. Despite the various motives put forward, it seems that the jury was not convinced with what in the end was a very complicated plot. The proceedings in court lasted less than five minutes. Among the defendants, there was, of course, quiet celebration. But this will come as a huge disappointment to the Calvi family, particularly his son Carlo, who had campaigned for the case to be reopened. As chairman of Banco Ambrosiano, Roberto Calvi was involved in some very sensitive financial transactions. In his time, he had worked for the Vatican Bank, the Mafia, and the Freemasons, but in June of 1982, when his bank collapsed, with debts of $1.5 billion, he suddenly found himself with very powerful enemies. One of the key defendants in this case was Giuseppe Calo, a convicted mobster who in the 1980s had been the chief cashier of the Sicilian Mafia, the Cosa Nostra. The prosecution argued that Calo had ordered the killing, angry that Calvi had lost the Mafia's money, and worried he might reveal all the secrets. But defense lawyer Renato Borsoni, who had defended another of the accused, Flavio Carboni, said there was no evidence to suggest the Mafia were ever involved. I still maintain it was suicide, he said, but if it was murder, there was never any evidence to suspect my client's involvement or indeed that of the Mafia, unquote. For a large part of the two years this case has run, from beginning again, for a large part of the two years this case has run for, it is played out in front of an empty courtroom. The truth is, here in Italy, the death of God's banker is no longer the sensation it once was. For a lot of people, this trial was an uncomfortable reminder of a dark and violent period many would prefer to forget. The prosecution said that, together with the other four defendants, three businessmen and a woman, Callow had lured Calvi to London in the hands of the Mafia. Callow, who gave evidence from his high-security prison, denied this charge on Tuesday in his final submissions. I had no interest in killing Calvi, he said. I didn't have the time nor the inclination. Besides, if I had wanted him dead, you, do you not think I would have picked my own people to do the job? Well, uh, make your own uh, decisions about that last statement. But uh, to, to talk about the mafia in and of itself is to barely scratch the surface of what was uh, concentrated in the P2. Not only uh, did the P2 contain the very powerful, actually in, in Italian affairs decisively powerful residua of the Italian fascism of the Mussolini period, headed up, of course, uh, this P2 lodge by uh, Mussolini period veteran Licio Gelli, but it also had concentrated in it the uh, core of Italian military and intelligence power, the core of Italian business power, and the core of the Italian media. Also last, but certainly not least, two successive P2 members, both of whom who died, were died alleged, quote, suicides, unquote, Michele Sindona and Roberto Calvi, were Vatican financial advisors. So looming in the back of the P2 is the Vatican. And not just the Vatican, because indeed the P2's reach goes way beyond Italy. Uh, P2 figures in Italian fascism with a very powerful branch in Argentina that was associated with the Junta and its dirty wars down there, uh, branches in, among other places, Monte Carlo. Uh, there was even a member of the P2, the late Philip Guarino, on the Republican Ethnic Outreach Council, part of the uh, fascist part of the Republican Party. Another thing to bear in mind, too, about uh, the P2 is the mortality rate of uh, those who've been involved with it. Uh, we've spoken about Sindona, 
who wound up dead of cyanide poisoning while in jail. We've spoken about Calvi. Uh, Calvi's secretary supposedly died after jumping from a window in uh, the Banco Ambrosiano. I believe at least one other official jumped out of a window uh, in uh, the Vatican, in, in the Banco Ambrosiano. Uh, and also, uh, the Roberto Rossoni, who was the vice president of the Banco Ambrosiano, was shot and seriously wounded shortly after Calvi's, quote, suicide. So uh, one of the things you wanted to be very careful of in the early and mid-1980s, you want to be very careful when walking under the window of the Banco Ambrosiano. You took a look up before you dared cross that threshold if you knew what was happening. Uh, we have been speaking about things in the relatively distant past, uh, or in some cases what for many people would be the very distant past, World War II. Uh, we should note that uh, among the many, many areas of influence of this milieu is the milieu of the Bank Al-Takwa, the Muslim Brotherhood, and behind that, the events in and around September 11th. Uh, the lawyer, the Swiss lawyer who handled Silvio Berlusconi's uh, investments in Switzerland was none other, none other than Pier Felici Barchi, who is in turn the attorney for, for uh, Youssef Nada, the former Nazi intelligence agent who heads up the uh, bank Al-Takwa. Indeed, another Swiss financial institution very closely associated with Islamists and the bank Al-Takwa is the Banco del Gotardo, which was formerly the Swiss branch of the Banco Ambrosiano. There are other links between the P2 Lodge and Italian fascism and the milieu of the Islamists, and we've spoken about them at great length in other broadcasts. Uh, among them, for the record, Program 456, for the record, Program 535, and uh, uh, related programs. So uh, do take note of that. Also, take note of the following. Now, the following article with which we're going to conclude here, this side anyway, falls into the, uh, is this of any significance or is this irrelevant? And it might very well be both. It might just be a lone nut, but this happened the same day that uh, the Calvi verdict was coming down, and I wonder to what extent the uh, German Pope, uh, the Third Reich veteran currently sitting inside of uh, the Vatican and the fellow who was the Eminence Gris behind JP2, I wonder if he was being sent a message. I'll ruminate a little more about this on side two. A German man has tried to jump into Pope Benedict XVI's Pope Mobile during his weekly general audience held in St. Peter's Square at the Vatican. The 27-year-old man was wrestled to the ground by security officers. The Pope himself, German, was not injured and did not seem to notice the incident. He proceeded with the audience as normal. In 1981, Benedict's predecessor, John Paul II, was shot by Turkish gunman Ali Aja as he drove around the square. Well, uh, do get a hold of uh, AFA program 17 through 21 from Spitfire. By the way, I don't get any money from that. And also peruse some of the other programs about uh, the P2 Lodge and uh, also about its links, the links between the P2 Lodge and the milieu of Italian fascism to the milieu of Muslim Brotherhood Islamic fascism as well. Uh, recall that... Uh, the ghosts of the P2 and the Super Seize Me are very much with us today. They had a clay shadow, clandestine uh, counter-terror unit, and uh, we're going we're to continue with our analysis of uh, some of the links running from the old P2 milieu right on up through events in and around September 11th. P2, U2, and Me2, but we'll start that on Side 2, because uh, this just about wraps things up for Side 1. Check out Triple W Spitfire List. 
com. That website and the many, many linked websites with audio files, print files, books, uh, article length descriptions, a search function, even a page to click on to support the work that I'm doing, uh, all of that available at www.spitfirelist.com. This concludes side one of For the Record program number 600, The Axis Revisited, Changing the Past and Controlling the Present. This program is being recorded on June 10th of 2007. My name's Dave Emery. Thanks for listening.